0: Alright, I'm reading from Isaiah 49. It's on page 520 of your Bibles. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, and you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and rise up. Princes will see and bow down. Because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you.
1: Okay, the second reading tonight is from Philippians chapter 2, verse 19, and it's on page 831 of your Bibles. Okay. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Ad- Evaporitus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed, because you heard he was ill." Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honour men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me.
2: Hello. Am I on? Can you hear me? Have I got your attention? Are you awake? Let me introduce myself. My name is Paul. I'm the pastor here at Southern Night Church. Good to see you. Please keep your Bibles open in Philippians chapter 2. we look at this excellent little bit of scripture tonight. It's a passage which has... Challenged me, humbled me, I've been grappling with it all week. As I said last week, you can't preach a passage unless the Spirit does a work in you personally to really convict you about it. I want to think about tonight, um, who are your role models in the Christian life? Who is it in the Christian life that really influences you or impacts the way that you live as Christians? So, who are you thinking of? I'm not thinking about preachers. I'm not thinking about books you've read. I'm thinking about people, normal Christian people. Who are your role models in life? Who are the people that you honor? Hold them in the highest regard, respect them, you admire them, you look up to them as Christians. You see, we all learn from people. Kids learn at school from their teachers, teaching them, but actually they they learn from other kids. They copy other kids and they copy their parents. It's extraordinary. Uh, Our son Sam, who turns six today, Uh, many people have said he's starting to speak with an English accent. (laughs) I haven't taught him that. He's just copying it. In your workplace, you learn how to do your work from watching people and by learning from them. You don't just read manuals, you learn from people. The same with preachers. Preachers learn how to preach by watching other preachers. Uh, some people copy far too much, uh, they imitate the style and the language and even the examples. When men leave Bible college, they don't become pastors just by going to Bible college. They learn on the job. They learn and, and they watch. And it's the same with you in your Christian life. Think about it. Who was it that, that taught you how to live as a Christian? Who was it that taught you how to pray? Who was it that taught you how to witness, how to give, how to live a godly, humble life? Who were your role models? And let me ask you a harder question. The people who influence you most in your Christian life, are they good role models or are they bad role models? Because we can mimic people who are actually not good role models. They teach us bad habits and it leads us away from Christ. Uh, Tonight we're going to look at three men, three extraordinary men whose lives were transformed by our Lord Jesus Christ. Three men who were passionate for Jesus, and three men who model to us what it really means to live for Christ. If you've been here in Philippians, uh, these are the themes of Philippians so far. Uh, chapter 1, verse 5, partnership in the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ. Chapter 1, verse 27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Chapter 2, verse 15, shine like stars. And these men are men who do shine like stars and live lives worthy of the gospel and do actually live for Christ and are partners in the gospel. And Paul is saying, learn from these men, honor these men. That's the word that's used down in verse 29, honor men like Epaphroditus. Hold them in the highest regard, look up to them, admire them, learn from them. I've been so challenged by these men. And what I've been praying for tonight's sermon is that you wouldn't just listen to the sermon tonight. And you wouldn't just admire these men or these men wouldn't inspire you. But these men would radically change you. Here's my big idea. Listen carefully. The more you love Jesus, the more selfless you become and the more eager to serve him. The more you love Jesus, the more selfless you become, and the more eager you are to serve him. That's what I'm talking about tonight. Your devotion to your Savior will create this sacrificial concern for his people and his church and other people. If you're passionate for Jesus, if you love Jesus, if you have this deep concern for the gospel, that will show itself in a deep concern for other people and not just yourself. It's such a, a life-changing, simple, liberating truth. The more that you begin to think like Jesus thinks, the more you'll be deeply concerned for other people, not just yourself. See, that was a model of Jesus, wasn't it? Jesus didn't think about himself. Jesus thought about you and me. That's what took him to the cross. Chapter 2, verse 5 through 11, he humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Why did he do that? Because he was thinking about you and your needs, not his own needs. And if your attitude is the same as that of Jesus Christ, you'll always be seeking and asking, What can I do that will help other people? Even if that's costly for me. I'll put it in the negative. We can't claim to be devoted to Jesus Christ without it showing in some way by a transformed attitude towards other people. It's easy to claim to follow Jesus. It's easy to claim to love Jesus and sit in church week in, week out and live comfortable Christian lives. But the genuine Christian life will mean putting others' needs above your own. And I have to say, it's those kind of people that I want to honor. It's those kind of people I want to have as my role models. The humble, selfless people. Not the proud prima donnas, not the slick, selfish superstars, not the comfortable Christians. I want to learn from humble, Christ-like men and women. So here's the scenario in this passage, just, just to make sure you've understood Philippians. Paul's in prison, he's in Rome, he's waiting trial, he's about to be executed. In the first century in prison, you relied on other people to provide you food. The jails didn't provide food, you relied on other people to bring you food. And then the Philippians loved Paul. They loved him deeply. And so they wanted to send Paul some food, a care package and some money. It's the days before internet transfers, and you have to actually walk to that place, or travel to that place, and hand over your care package. And so one of the most trusted men, his name's Epaphroditus, he puts his hand up and says, I will go. And he treks 800 miles from Philippi to Rome. Somewhere along the way, Epaphroditus gets sick. Again, in that, that time, there's no hospitals, there's no antibiotics. If you get sick, you probably die. And twice we're told that Epaphroditus nearly died. And then news gets back to the Philippians that Epaphroditus is sick and they're distressed, they're anxious. This is what's so bizarre about this passage. Epaphroditus is concerned that the Philippians are anxious about him. Paul is concerned that the Philippian church are concerned about Epaphroditus. And they're all thinking about each other. They're not thinking about themselves. And so Paul writes a letter. He writes a letter to the Philippian church to encourage them, to reassure them, to comfort them. And in the process, he leaves these three role models for us. If I asked you, what what, what kind of words would you want people to use to describe you as a Christian? What kind of words would you want attached to your name? as a description of what it means for you to be a Christian. Let's look at these three men. Here's the first one. Timothy. His word is selfless. The subheading, interested in the well-being of others and not just himself. That's how it's described in verse 20, isn't it? I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Uh, That's Timothy, a genuine concern for the the interest, the well-being, the welfare of other people. I almost imagined Paul sitting in jail. He's thinking, I've got to send someone to the Philippians. Who shall I send? I could send... Send Daniel. He's a good guy. No, actually, he really his interest is his own pleasure. He spends his whole life just planning holidays. His agenda. Uh, I could send Phoebe. Uh, she she's a great girl. Uh, now her mind's on her own social calendar. She just kind of she serves well, but she just squeezes Jesus into her social calendar. Uh, And I could send Jonah. He's a great guy. He's enthusiastic. He's got all these ideas. He's good at talking. He's good at talking about helping other people. He just never follows through with action. And I could send Jacob. He really does serve well, but you know, there's that kind of that underlying pride. The way he talks, it's almost like God couldn't do His work without him. Mm, Who shall I send? I know, I'll send Timothy. Now, why would Paul send Timothy? Is it just because he's sent him to other places like Thessalonica and Corinth? No. Look again at verse 20. I have no one else like him. Out of all his helpers, Timothy is outstanding. Why? Because he takes a genuine interest, a real interest in your welfare. He puts your needs above his own. Verse 21, for everyone looks out for his own interests. He's basically saying that nobody puts into practice chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look look not only to your own interest but also to the interest of others. No one does that except Timothy. Now look at verse 21 again. How would you expect him to finish verse 21? Everyone looks out for his own interest, not those of other people. That's what you'd expect him to say. He's an other person-centered man. But if that was all it was, he would just be holding up Timothy as this, this example of a people person, somebody who's good with other people and less selfish. That's not the reason why Timothy has a concern for others above himself. What's the reason? Verse 21. Because he loves Jesus. His interests are the interests of Jesus Christ. Because he's seeking the interest of his Savior, because he's consumed with a concern for Jesus and his gospel, because Timothy is concerned about what Jesus is concerned about, therefore he's concerned for other people. What's Jesus concerned about? What's Jesus always been on about? The welfare of other people. I hope you've got this. I'm laboring it. If you are devoted to your Savior, if you're thinking like Jesus thinks, and you'll be concerned for the welfare of other people. There's no mention of his status or his knees or his reputation or his fan base. I reckon Timothy would hate the fact that I'm holding you up tonight as a model. He's that humble kind of guy. Not look at me, but look at Jesus. I just imagine Timothy... Yeah, turning up in Philippi and he's just there, busy in Philippi. a word of encouragement here, a word of rebuke there, often practical support here. Uh, can I look after some kids for you? Can I cook you a meal? How can I help you in your walk with Jesus? And the conversation after church, it wouldn't be about himself. it would be how are you going with Jesus. What can I do to help you in your walk with Jesus? You ever met those people at church? It's like they walk into church, and it's kind of like they're talking to you. And and I, what they're really concerned about more than anything else is how you are going, not themselves. The amazing thing about Timothy is that he doesn't just talk a good game. He's actually proved himself. Verse twenty-two. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. He's he's got the CV. He's shown to be a genuine other person-centered kind of guy. Because as a son with his father, that's how Paul sees him. He served with me in the work of the gospel. Now this is what blew me away. Verse 23, I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. As soon as I know whether I'm going to live or die, I'm going to send Timothy. What blew me away was that Timothy, listen carefully, Timothy was willing to go. He was willing to leave Rome and actually go to Philippi. That wasn't easy. Leaving his, his father-type figure, Paul, in jail, he would not know whether he'd ever see Paul alive again. Timothy wouldn't know whether he'd, he'd survive the journey. So what motivated Timothy to go? Why didn't Timothy play the, oh, you know, I'm busy, send somebody else. It doesn't quite fit into my calendar, Paul. Why? Because he puts the interests of Jesus Christ first, and therefore he cares for other people. that's Timothy, no selfishness, no grumbling. He thinks like Jesus, and so he thinks, "How can I help other people now here's my big question for us on this point: What is it that you that shapes your mind? Do you have that? Same interest of Jesus Christ above everything else. That cross-centered worldview that you you see the world and you see other people through the lens called Jesus Christ. I I find the, the world of Facebook fascinating. You can tell a lot about people from their Facebook updates. And some updates are just quite frankly egocentric. What I'm doing, what I need... Aren't I wonderful? Look at me, look at me. Or worries me. I don't see quite so many. You know, I'm really concerned for this person. I've put in time to help this person. How can I help you in your walk with Jesus? There are lots of ex- examples of selflessness here at church. I sat down and wrote down a few. And they did fill a whole page of just selfless acts. And it's Beautiful. And the person who regularly emails me and say, are there people I can pray for at church? the person who constantly offers people to stay at their home in their spare room, thinking of their interest, not their own. the man who gets up early, sacrificing some sleep or sacrificing an early morning run to read the Bible and pray with somebody else for their interest, not for his own. Cooking meals for people in need, offering lifts to church, Visiting the sick when they could be vegging out in front of the TV. Sacrificing their weekend away with friends because church is more important. The single guy offering to babysit and pay for a married couple to have a date night. The couple leading a connect group, even when life is crazy for them, but they're willing to make other sacrifices to serve other people in that way. The man who gives up a week of annual leave to do a beach mission. I can name lots and lots and lots of them. People who are selfless. Because they love Jesus, they put the needs of others above themselves. Why do people do that? Simple answer is they love Jesus. The more you love Jesus, the more selfless you become. I've been praying, friends, that we would deal with this, what I call the respectable sin of selfishness. It's deep within us. Listen to this quote by Leslie Newbegin. He said, I saw quite a lot of evangelical Christianity can easily slip and can become centered in me and my need. What a strange irony that the gospel could become the occasion for profound self-absorption. We do live in an age of unprecedented self, of weightless souls consumed with their own gravity. And today, many Christians actually believe it's Christian to pursue self-fulfillment as as the ultimate goal in life. I've witnessed this this several times when I sat listening to a preacher offer up the common bromide. We cannot love others until we first love ourselves. And I've seen the congregation nod and murmur, yes, yes, Emily, I'm shouting, no! That's unbiblical foolishness. So I've just been praying this week that we as a church would be more like Timothy. More devoted to Jesus and therefore more selfless. Let's look at our second example. Epaphroditus. I've called him the servant of the gospel. What I love about Epaphroditus is that he didn't shepherd a flock and he didn't take the gospel to an unknown area. And as far as we know, he wrote nothing. He's not a church planter. He's not a high-profile Christian. He's just your normal Christian bloke sitting in the pews at church. You know, when, the, the, offer, when the, uh, the need is there, I need someone to take his money to Paul. He's just your bloke who goes up to the pastor office and says, I'll, I'll do that. Let me do that. He's the kind of man that you see uh, putting out chairs, mopping floors, or uh, offering hospitality, or doing the church treasury work, all behind the scenes, not your upfront kind of guy. And yet Paul says in verse 29, honor men like him, because he's a servant of the gospel. Uh, The subtitle is, Making Costly Decisions for the Sake of the Gospel. The name Epaphroditus means lovely. Look at verse 25. Paul piles up the descriptions. He calls him, my brother, that close spiritual bloodline. My fellow worker, a co-worker in Christ, working together with Paul. My fellow soldier on the front line, fighting for Jesus, putting his life on the line for Jesus. Your messenger, your apostle who you are sending to take care of my needs. And I just listen to these verses, verses 26 to 30, and feel the drama, the sickness and anxiety and sorrow. For he longs for all of you, for the Philippian church. He's distressed because you heard he was ill. That's extraordinary. He's not distressed because he is ill. He's distressed because they heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill. He almost died, but God was merciful. And not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrows. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you'll be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him. This is a key verse. Because he almost died, what? For the work of Christ. Why did Epaphroditus put his life on the line? For the work of Christ. For the work of the gospel. Risking his life to make up for the help that you couldn't give me. That's what motivated He He was so captivated by the gospel. He took every opportunity to see the gospel go out. He's a gospel worker. Not a preacher, not a planter. He's just an ordinary man who puts his life on the line for the sake of Christ. Why would he do that? It's got to be he's so convinced that this message is a life-changing message. As I was preparing this sermon, I, I did start to write about all these great heroes of the faith who, who sacrificed their life for the work of Christ. And I thought, that's not going to connect with us, because they're kind of seen as these super-Christians. But what does connect are people like this, the, the successful businessman who is a servant of the gospel, and so he's just blocked out 30 Monday nights to teach Intro to the Bible, PTC course at his church. Or the servant of the gospel, a lady in this church who has constant back pain and constant migraine, but she's a servant of the gospel, and so she's here in church every single week because she loves talking to you about Jesus. Or the man who's a servant of the gospel, so pa- pours hours into discipling young Christians. Or the man in, in the connect group, and he's saying, like, I, I want to serve the gospel here. I don't really connect, but show me, Lord, how to serve these people. Or the people heading to Lavender Bay Church. It's not the easy option. They're leaving behind people they love and a service they love. Why? Because they want to see the gospel go in that place. They're the kind of examples that connect with us. Servants of the gospel, putting their life on the line for Jesus. And then there was another challenge for me preaching this sermon. I kept thinking, should I qualify this? You know, we're called to be servants of the gospel, we're called to preach Christ and work hard for Jesus, but friends, it's okay. I know we're all busy. And I know we've got different pressures today, and I know many of us are weary, but I think we've had a a decade of those kind of qualifications and so we're just really comfortable Christians who are not servants of the gospel and not putting their lives on the line for Christ they're just comfortable and we hear about burning out for Christ please don't mishear me I'm not saying we do lots I'm not saying you fill your diary with church stuff it's an attitude thing and you're saying I love Jesus and I want to see the gospel go out as I'm prepared to work hard for that There's a new buzzword in Sydney at the moment. I've heard it so many times in the last three months, not just at this church, in other churches around Sydney. Here's the buzzword. Balance. Balance. I keep hearing, it. Oh, I need to get balance in my life. Please pray for balance. I need to balance my work and my family and my rest and my fitness and my church as if Jesus tips the balance scale. The attitude is all wrong. Serving Jesus is not just one more item to fit into your week. Serving Jesus is your week. Wherever he places you, whatever conversation you're in, you're serving the gospel. So here's the problem. Jesus never talked about balance. He talked about taking up your cross and following him and being a radical disciple and giving your life for Christ. Balance? No. It's because our attitudes are wrong. I'm not talking about activities. I'm talking about attitude. That you love Jesus so much. He's the foundation of everything that you do. So yes, your family life. And yes, your time with your friends. And yes, your fitness. And yes, your rest. And yes, your work. And yes, your church. It's all about Jesus. And sometimes that will be costly. And sometimes that will be hard work. And sometimes you'll be asked to make sacrifices. I doubt if I ask you to risk your life. But minor sacrifices, yep. Epaphroditus, servant of the gospel. Here's a third one. Paul. And the word I put alongside him is compassionate. I don't think that's a word we often associate with the Apostle Paul. We think he's a bit of a hardline, tough, woman-hater, gay-basher, compassionate. I reckon this guy, Paul, is a model of godly love, godly care, and godly concern. Can you imagine lying in a hospital bed, and you just come through an operation, and the person who is dearest to you in life is sitting alongside you? Not saying anything, just, just being there, being at your bedside. And then you hear of somebody else in need in a different part of town, and what are you going to say to them? Don't leave me. I need you. Please stay with me. It's not Paul, is it? I'm sure he would have loved Timothy to stay with him. He's like a son to him, he's got nobody else like him. What does Paul say? You're in need. I love you guys. I'm going to send you the best. I'm going to take care of your needs. You get a glimpse of it in verse 27. He said, God has mercy on him, on Epaphroditus, but not only on him, but also on me, on Paul, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. The thought of Epaphroditus dying is unbearable, and the thought of the Philippian church being distressed is unbearable, so he gives up his needs. He has compassion on this church, and he'll do whatever is best for them, and if that includes sending his best servant, then he'll send him. And that's the challenge, isn't it? Being eager, not just willing, but being eager to give up those closest to you for the good of others. Again, I've seen a glimpse of it here. Different ministries who give up leaders because there's a need in another area of church. Uh, Maybe we hear another church in need, and we send people and we send the best. We have compassion on them. Most of our connect groups at Saturday night are four. We need groups to split. That would be a really compassionate thing to do, wouldn't it? To split the group up, two different groups, and say, how can I serve? You hear Christians in material lead and and you overflow with kindness and generosity towards them because you have compassion for them. I love these guys. Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus. These are three words to take away with you. Selfless, compassionate, servants of the gospel. I'd love to have that next to my name, Paul Dale, selfless, compassionate, servant of the gospel. Remember the big idea? The more you love Jesus, the more selfless you will become and the more eager to serve him. How do these mere men do this? What makes them tick? The simple answer is they love Jesus. They were totally devoted to Jesus. They were captivated by Jesus, captivated by Calvary. You see it in the language. Verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus. Verse 24, I'm confident in the Lord Jesus. Verse 29, welcome him in the Lord. They just love Jesus. And I'm very very conscious, I've been preaching a lot of the The consequences of loving Jesus, haven't I, shining like stars, living a life worth the gospel, being part of the God—they're all the consequences of loving Jesus. Next week, next week we learn what it really means to know Christ. I want to know Christ, friends. When you've met Jesus, when you've had that personal encounter with Jesus, when you're devoted to Him, you do become more selfless. You do become more eager to serve. As so I ask you again, who do you look to? Who are your role models? I do pray you be on the lookout for selfless, compassionate servants of the gospel. Watch how they act. Listen to how they talk. Listen to how they react. And model your life on them. The more you love Jesus, the more selfless you become and the more eager to serve him. Let me pray. Lord God, I pray that you would help us to love you more, to see your humility to think like you, to act like you, to put the interests of others above the interests of ourselves. Lord, please grow in us that selflessness, that compassion, and that servant-heartedness. I do ask that for Jesus' sake.